Welcome to Nuria's Mastermind. This podcast is a place where success and fulfillment meets. A space where I invite guests from all walks of life who have succeeded at a high level in a specific area. A space where we will share their champion stories, including the wins and the highs, but also the lows and the challenges, yet how their passion and consistency inspire them to keep pushing forward and creating major breakthroughs in their lives. Also sharing our why, sharing what fulfills us, because what's life about without enjoying the journey? Please subscribe, share, and rate us. My intention for all of our listeners is to be inspired into taking action to live the life that you truly desire. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Nuria's Mastermind. I'm super excited to have uh, somebody who is like a bright shining star, especially lately in, in my world. I'm like, there's Sophie, there's Sophie. Oh my God, what is she up to? Um, super curious about you and you're doing some phenomenal things. So I want to welcome Sophie Jones to the show today. Hi, everyone. Hey, darling. Hey there. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> hey, so, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I know that you have quite a bit of big projects going on right now, and we'll get into the depths of all the things that are going on in so- Sophie's world, but, um, just to let our audience and listeners know our history of how we met. Um, So we both are in the real estate world and it was in (laughs) 2010-ish where um, we met, you were at a local uh, Utah company and um, I was often in their meetings because they were very much about, you know, growth and development and um, that's kind of where I met you. And I remember when I first saw you, I was like, oh my gosh, so that girl is so like gorgeous. And she seems like she's very successful. And, you know, so I, I was always observing you and just watching you. And then, um, we kind of stayed in contact, you know, just through social media. We've even had a couple of just like very deep calls. I remember a couple of years ago, we were just like, you called me and we were just having some really great conversations. Totally. I got that when you just, that was amazing. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, oh, this girl is deep. And I love your watching your journey and your growth. And what I have to say is that I've absolutely loved um, seeing the vulnerability that you have been so open to sharing with yeah. some of these, you know, big big things in your life that have some have been traumatic and some have made you who you are. I'm sure all of them have made you who you are, but it's, it's almost like this, um, you're making a big impact in the community. And I know you're very into uh, breath work as well. You're doing the breath work sessions. And so um, I'm going to stop talking now and give the mic to you because I want to hear more about Sophie's life. Okay. Awesome. Um, we had like two days we could cover all of it, but we'll get it done. <laughs> I'm Sophie Jones and she, Nuria's right. We met in 2010. I'm from Sandy, Utah. And we started talking, I'll tell you just a little bit about my upbringing. Cause I think it made an impact down the line. So I wasn't from the predominant faith in Salt Lake and I currently live in Montana. And Montana is the eighth state I've lived in. So, and I moved away for the first time when I was 15. And what I learned when I moved away was 
that there was like a medium, like in other places, like there were like the wild kids, there were like kids that were kind of in the middle. And then maybe there were kids that were more conservative and just being from Salt Lake, that wasn't my experience. It was like, you were either probably pretty religious and from the predominant faith or you were like really wild. So I grew up pretty wild and, um, and I moved in with my dad when I was eight years old to Sandy. My mom um, was an alcoholic. She's been in recovery for a really long time, but there was abuse even when I was very young. My parents weren't around a ton. My grandparents were raising me when I was, was younger, like up until I was five. And um, when you start to learn about formative years and how we attach to people, uh, I can see how these things made a huge impact on how I would go and recreate trauma. So I say that for anyone that maybe will get there, but like cycles and the same stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad's an attorney. He's a criminal and family attorney in Salt Lake. He's been there a long time. And, you know, I was raised in a household that was, there was a lot of values. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. It's like there'd be poker night with a bunch of like my uncles, if you will, and like little Sophie running around or, you know, I'd go to dinner with my dad and these guy friends, you know, to the market street, like four nights a week. So I was just raised in this very masculine and different environment. And I was raised around a lot of adults. Adult. Yes. Yeah. So, um, see what else do I want to share about that? I didn't know how to read when I moved in with my dad, which was really difficult. Um, being eight, I didn't really start reading fluently. I was dyslexic till I was 10. Um, wow. yeah, so that's a huge thing for me. Like a story of mine is I'm not smart. <laughs> and so, and I've tried to prove that in other areas with making money. Um, and then also when I moved in with my father, you know, a lot of, because we lived in Sandy and it was very traditional in the predominant faith, a lot of kids weren't allowed to hang out with me. Like, so I, because it was just a single man raising his daughter and, um, and we weren't religious. And so, or we would go to church, but not that, not Mormon church or, so I was raised around a bunch of like bad kids in the neighborhood. So at a very young age, I loved a bad boy. Like, I think for as long as I can remember, I had like an affinity for a bad boy. And <laughs> I'm telling you, like came right out that way. Um, and that would play out. Us do though. Let's be honest, ladies. You know, anyone who's listening, it's like, ooh, the bad boy. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Like, totally. I like, don't it know took me like well into my thirties, like probably until I met Warren, the the my fiance, the gentleman I'm with now, to like really get over that and do some really really deep healing. Um. So yeah. So in my adolescence, I partied quite a bit. Um. I moved to Virginia my sophomore year of high school. That was a huge blessing in disguise for me. I moved to rural Virginia where I was the minority being from Sandy, Utah. And it was like a huge wake up call. It was like, you know, I thought I was tough and mean and, and knew everything. And, you know, you get over there and you're like, okay, maybe not. Um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I got to be on varsity cheerleading out in Virginia. So I got to do some things. I got to be on dance team. I ended up dating the biggest drug dealer in the school. I didn't get to go to prom because he got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, 
But I always, you know, I think there's always been this sense of working hard. Like even when I was young and little, like I always wanted to be keeping busy. I always wanted to work hard. If there was snow, I was out there with my dad shoveling the driveway. So this was, this was also um, a big theme. So through, I came back to Salt Lake uh, my junior year. I went to a really small private school and I graduated that year um, and became a lifty up at Snowbird. You know, and I was drinking a lot. I didn't have a ton of direction. None of my friends had a lot of direction. They were in the snowboarding industry. Um, and I had, you know, looking back now, because I'm in recovery and we'll talk about it, but I drank alcoholically from the very beginning. Like I, I don't think I can remember very many times that I was just drinking. Maybe I thought I was drinking to enjoy, but I was like very much, and that was what my friends were doing. So you were drinking to like cope. You were drinking to, you know, I think I just, like, I even remember when I graduated high school, I got an apartment with um, a, a girlfriend and I was 17, her parents got us the apartment. Like, we'd go out and party and I'd wake up on the bathroom floor with her next to me. She'd be like, I thought you were gonna die last night. Like, I just think so much trauma was happening, feeling not smart, feeling like I couldn't fit in. I didn't ever feel as pretty as my girlfriends. I mean, if you see people from Sandy, I mean, a lot of people are from Utah there. If you're not from Utah, like there's just like a very beautiful demographic going on there. And, um, and abuse when I was younger, I just, I just didn't know how to be comfortable being. So it was like, okay, we're going to drink, we're going to drink all of it. Um, and then the snowboarding industry was a big deal. So I dated a guy that owned part of a snowboarding company. He was also a rep. Um, and in between there, this is an important part, I dated this very scary predominant drug dealer that would be in and out of prison and actually ended up being like a guardian angel for me. We'll talk about him later. So wow. I moved to Colorado with this guy. Um, you know, everyone's like, everyone's partying, everyone's in the snowboarding industry. People, I mean, at this point in time, the normal people are like going on missions, going to BYU, but like, I didn't even really, and maybe you're, what part of Salt Lake are you from? I grew up in Sandy as well. Okay. Part, yeah. So I didn't have, and maybe this is just, so this would be a good thing for me to ask you. I didn't have a ton of friends like applying to go to school. Like, did you experience that? Yeah, I, I would say about 50% of them, but it definitely wasn't like a huge, um, I agree with you. It wasn't like a huge focus it was like only a small amount of um like we're looking at you know universities and good colleges yeah it, I would say that in other markets and in other states it's probably way higher yeah. of like that looking at like sophomore year it's like it's a big deal yeah yeah okay great so yeah so just one and um and so I moved to Colorado and I you know hard worker served tables with this gentleman and we were together for a couple of years. And then we went up to Portland, Oregon where his um, snowboarding company was located. And I got a great job serving tables. You know, I'm just young, I'm partying. You know, you can't tell me anything. Life can't come fast enough. Um, and when we broke up, I was like, oh, I'll go find another bad boy. Because what I learned is through my trauma experience, like what would be perceived to unsafe to other people is 
very safe to me. So like I saw The Godfather when I was 10 and was like, that is my life's purpose. I'm marrying into the mob. Like I really like that type. I mean, I, it's crazy to say now. Your little girl's big dream is where it was to be a part oh of Oh my God. I mean, I wait sure. till we get there. But it's like looking back, it was like possessive, controlling, powerful, uh, like uh, in the underbelly of society that was all very drawing to me like I wanted to be this type of kind of lady of the night and boss and feel protected by that like and I think also that was because I never felt good around what I would perceive as normal people like that made me feel very uncomfortable so I met it's a gentleman who was around that environment yeah so what would be safe to others made me feel very unsafe mm. Um, and I think people can even relate. I see people do this with food. I see people do this with a different type of relationship. I see people do this where it's like what would be perceived as unhealthy is really people's like motive of being healthy, right? This is where we, this is why habits are so incredibly hard to break that aren't good for us because they feel good. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, um, I met a gentleman named Jermaine, that's his legal name, and um, he had been a pimp for a long time, and, you know, I had already been, like, I had already been around the streets mentality, so there's some type of, like, badge of honor with that, right? Like, what people would perceive as ghetto, like, if you get to, in my mind, like, the mob, it's like, there's this different level of, like, oh, you can make it not in societal norms. Um, I met him. I didn't think about prostitution at the time, but I got a DUI. I lost my job. I was doing cocaine pretty regularly. And I just had like, and I was too prideful to tell my family, like, I need help. Mm -hmm. And so this gentleman that had moved back from Las Vegas, you know, just started grooming me, just started like bringing women around that had nice things bringing, showing me that he cared, like taking care of certain things where I was like, okay, this is someone I can trust. Like, it's going to be okay. And um, it's emotional to think about because I don't often like, but I, I honor your <laughs> yeah. not an easy conversation. You so. know, I really wanted to be loved and taken care of, like at the most fundamental core that's what i was looking for um so i moved in with him this all happened maybe in the span of about a month and um he made me get rid of my dog i'll never forget that <laughs> but, um, and then um i agreed i said you know what i think i can do this i mean like he'd have me like watch videos where it was like glamorizing prostitution i mean just really started to like normalize prostitution in my eyes and so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And um, I did like maybe a, maybe a week in um, in Portland and then he, he took me away. And so anyone that's ever had any human trafficking in their life or in their family, they understand like that's exactly what they have to do. Like take you out of your comfort zone where you are 100% dependent on this person. So we flew to New York and then we were in New Jersey. We were in DC, we were in Florida. Um, and meanwhile, being from Salt Lake, 
you know, prostitution was a lot done online unless you're in a major city. And so it had, someone had told somebody that I, that's what I was doing and being from Salt Lake, like everybody all of a sudden knew, right? Like that's what I was doing. Um, I didn't know that until I came home, but so I'm with Jermaine. I'm like, this is the oldest profession in the world. Everything is fine. And um, I'll never forget the first time he was violent. He broke a cell phone up on my face. Like I was talking and that's how hard he hit me. It's like my cheekbone broke the cell phone. And like, I had dealt with abuse when I was really little, but um, never really, it's funny because it's like, even in like those scarier type situations with men, like I never, or let's say, yeah, just, I never, that was the abuse physically was never a part of it. And I just remember being terrified and like, oh my God, like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Meanwhile, my family. Terrifying. Absolutely. Terrifying. But you're also like, you're so, it's, you know, you can look at even, you're so, you're so. Um, like codependent on this person, right? Yeah. And you've taken the, you've drank the poison. So it's like, you're codependent, but you like, you're like, this is how it's. This is normal. Like always just correcting my behavior, wow. which is super crazy because I was always like, you couldn't tell me anything. Like, you know what I mean? I wasn't really subservient, but I, in some ways, I, and I think that's why I would go find controlling men to like, see like who was going to be in the power struggle. And this guy was like, I win, you know? Um, so we went down to Vegas. In the meantime, my family contacted the FBI, contacted every human trafficking like association, and they, you know, were just like praying all the time. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm in Vegas, and you know, part of being in prostitution, if there's a pimp involved, is like the more the merrier when it comes to workers, and so that was like I was really jealous. That was very hard for me, and so this gentleman that I mentioned earlier, George, that would go in and out of prison, but in a lot of ways, you know, I think in a lot of ways we're each other's guardians and soulmates. He was a very good person. I loved the Hispanic culture. I loved anything that was very, I knew his family really well. And so, um, so he comes out of prison. I come home a few times and, and the specialists are telling my family, like, you have to just act like everything's fine. Like if you try to grab onto her, she is going to want to come home. And if she feels like there's any judgment or that you're going to lock her there, anything, she won't come to you. Mm. Like you have to normalize this, which was just so terrifying for my family. And um, so I came home a few times and abuse is still happening. And so um the day before I left, um, Jermaine almost beat me to death in the shower. Like my face was just, I just had never experienced trauma like that. And like, even in prostitution and in that exchange with men, I would just dissociate to like a whole different degree. You know, it just was like, but I also dissociate during the act, let's say the sexual act, but I really enjoyed, let's say the mingling. I'm a very charismatic person getting to know people this is why real estate worked really well for me so there's that part of it but we're in the like I'm in the shower and he's he's a huge guy he's like six five just like 
used to be an MMA fighter. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm going to die. Like I'm for sure going to end up in the desert hundred percent. So there's a total God moment. Yeah. And, and looking back, um, it's, there's so many women that deal with abuse. Mm -hmm. Like, and I would go and search it out, not to that level, but like, again, you normalize what feels, what feels comfortable, what feels familiar. And so to be in an environment like that, it's like, we have to start normalizing abuse more so that people can get help around it. Like, it's such a shameful thing for women to be like, oh, my husband hit me and all your girlfriends are like, why do you stay? Blah, blah, blah. Like, there's so much more going on when stuff like that's happening. Yeah. So Absolutely. Um, I actually, um, I think it was maybe three, four years ago for my Dreamers Foundation, the event we raised money for the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's close to me, um, but I, I definitely want to, you know, just take this moment in this episode to just really, you know, anyone who might be in the situation that might be feeling or, you know, like some of the same emotions that you've gone through or some of the similar situation where it's like, oh, it's fine. This will, this is okay. Like, any of that like please please know that this is just not okay ever yeah and um that there are support groups and there are people that you can reach out so many resources yes there are so many and if you're in utah please utah domestic violence coalition is a great place um one of many that you can you can go to and and there's a ton of support groups on facebook now like there are places it because if it feels too scary to go to somewhere like domestic you know violence coalition and you think that they're going to come in your house or if you have children they're going to take them away you can i mean i would encourage people to start looking for groups online where you can get community around the same thing and then they can start directing you because it takes baby steps to you know what I mean? To go, oh my God, this isn't normal. This isn't right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for um, sharing this part of you because it's so important to talk about, you know, um, and especially right now with COVID and everything going on and people really, you know, being home more and it's, it can get very scary and it's very traumatic and it's not somewhere safe at all ever. I don't care what situation you're in and all the excuses you make up for the abuser, like it's never okay ever okay yeah and and there's no judgment around it happening to you like this is why I talk about it today because I look very normal do you know what I mean absolutely people don't look at me and go oh she used to be a prostitute she had some pimp she dated drug dealers cartel members she's been abused that is why my authenticity why I started sharing it because it's like I want to relate. I can relate to the girl in the streets just as much as I can relate to a housewife. That's like, Oh, he just gets angry. It's like, okay, well, we need to talk about what that means and and why, because it's, yes, it's never okay. And when I heard that, it's like, yeah, it's never okay, but there's no, no one's offering me a solution. So it's like, you can find community that can support you and you go, because when you're with an abuser, their job is to isolate you and they're really good at it. So it's like, you don't, you know, don't have friends anymore. You don't talk to your family like that anymore. So the internet's a beautiful place to start building that community, start finding your voice, start finding a way out. There's a ton of resources. 
Thank you for sharing that, Sophie. You're welcome. Okay, so I'm at the grocery store. It's the day after. My face is just like pummeled. And I don't have any, like, I don't really talk to any of my friends in Utah anymore. No one really knows what's going on except my family. Well, nobody of my friends will I let even near, near me. Um, and my family knows. And lo and behold, George called my phone. He's got out of prison. He's paid one of my old friends for my phone number, which was his MO. And he's found out what's going on. And he was just like, I mean, it was the biggest godsend ever because it was someone that could relate to the situation. It wasn't like my dad or like a police officer. It was like somebody else that knew the, like the, the, like the rules of the jungle. And um, we talked and I just was sobbing in the grocery store and told him what happened. And he just said, hey, there's a couple things. He's like, I'll be there in six hours and you know how that's going to go down. Or you will get on this, like, you will get on the plane ticket I just bought you. I didn't even know he had a bank account. I was like, you're allowed to have that. <laughs> <laughs> he bought me a plane ticket home for the early the next morning. And then he said some very important things. And I think this is important for anyone. We'll talk about this going on in success too, but like always look for the God links, like pay attention I have lived more of my life based off my intuition because I'm like, I would navigate life that way. And so he said a couple of things to me. He said, you know, you've got to call your family and let them know you're coming home. I can't be the only one. And then he also said to me, um, he's going to say that you can leave and he'll probably end up killing you. And I was like, how would he say that? How would he even know to say that? He wouldn't even, like, I can't even let him know I'm leaving. And he was like, it's going to come up. And you for sure are not going to ever tell him you're leaving. And he's like, call me when, you, and he said, go act like you're going to go to work tonight, even with your face as it is, and call me when you leave your house. Mm. And I went to this big house that we were leasing. And I said, you know, I'd made a lot of money in like the six months this was going on. And I just said, no, I just don't know what happened to the money. And he got very postured and he was like, if you're not happy and you want to leave, just leave. Oh boy. And I just was like, from God's you know, mouth to my ears, if you will, just went, oh. And um, I was like, you know, I want to go to work tonight. And he was like, okay. And I left, called George, and I called my family. And um, I flew home with just the clothes on my back, some pretty hard labels. I was now in my community in Salt Lake looked at as a prostitute and an escort and other things. And that was really hard. Um, you know, and, and, um, I think that that was one of the first, I, that probably up till this day, that was probably one of the most, if not the most pivotal moments in my life. Cause I really believed, I felt like the universe that I made a pact that it was like, you don't let this, because this happened, you use this for an experience. Like you don't let this define you. You're gonna help people when you're ready. It's okay. So I get home and um, I go and live with my mom for the first time since I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and um, I see George, you know, I think I'm gonna still escort in Salt Lake. I'm like, I made a ton of money. I just don't have a scary guy around. Um, and I started drinking a ton and using drugs. And by this time, 
heroin, opiates, Oxycontin has, has just taken grip of most of the people I know in a lot of ways. And so um, I got really messed up for like a few days. I went home and slept at my mom's for a few days. Her and my stepfather were in recovery for a long time. And my mom just like, I woke up and she was like, you don't have to live this way, be different. So I joined um, a 12-step recovery program and said, I'm going to do it for a year. I don't have any problems. All the drinking that led up to me making those decisions has nothing to do with like who I am. I just like, everything's fine. I don't really have a problem running alcohol or drugs, <laughs> which is like insane. So <laughs> I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, <laughs> so, yeah, so I got sober and said I was going to do it for a year. And I met my first mentor in business. Um, his name's Travis Wood. His dad is Tim Wood. And Tim Wood's in like the millionaire real estate agent who is one of Mike Ferry's first coaches. He had a huge successful real estate company out in Big Bear. And Travis knew my story. And Travis was really super successful entrepreneur, former um professional snowboarder was really successful in the snowboarding world and then got more successful in property ownership, stock market. And he did a lot of wholesale deals, like big, huge giant deals. So in the terms of wholesale, I'd say like selling Oakley to TJ Maxx, right? Like kind of the clearance guy, right? So, um, so I'm going to continue escorting and I reached out to Travis and I just was like, Hey, I know, you know, about investing, I'm going to keep doing this. And um, could you teach me about investing money? And I think he was out drinking. He's like very much like he's settled down now, but like very much a playboy and like out having fun. He lives in California and he's like, I'll call me tomorrow. Here's my number. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I think part of it was like, I thought he was cute. Um, but I also was just like, I could see he had like, I wasn't gonna come back and go to college. And I could see he was earning the type of money that I was earning, if not way more. And like, I wanted to figure, close that gap. And I don't think he went to college either. I'd have to ask him. So I called him the next day and he said, if you give me six months, you can make whatever decision you want after six months. So give me six months. And looking back now, like this was another Godwing. Um, he just said, I want, I'm going to give you books to read. You're going to touch base with me. We'll make a decision after six months. And I said, okay. Wow. The first book I read was, he told me to read was Think and Grow Rich. It's my favorite still to this day. And I read a lot. <laughs> yeah. I love that book. I, I, I've maybe read it three or four times. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that book. Have you, I'm sure you've read Outsmarting or Outwitting the Devil that he wrote as well. Have you read that? Mm-mm. So I'm going to write that down. I'll send you a screenshot when we're done. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> um, and then he had me read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. He had me read Cashflow Quadrants. I was serving tables at Fiddler's Elbow. I didn't have a driver's license because of my DUI. I just walked. My mom lived in Sugar House. And I started to go, okay. Like I, I just was so, I, I wasn't around any of my friends because I was sober. So it was like this very like great incubated period where I was like, okay. Um, I started dating a very successful commercial, probably if not the most successful commercial real estate agent for industrial real estate, it's me, Richard Ellis. So I was, I was around, I mean, I always like 
big fish. So, but I was around a different demographic. And so I think it was like three months in and he was like, okay, so you can get an insurance license or your real estate license. Like prostitution was on the table. And I was yeah, like, no, not doing yeah. that. <laughs> and I loved homes and I loved, um, yeah, I would drive around homes with my dad and my mom on Sundays. And so I got my real estate license and I came home in October of 08. And I got license, my license, I actually called the commission a while ago. It was in like July of 09. So and we start with real estate. Any questions, comments? Oh my gosh. So cool. I love that your friend challenged you on giving him six months. You know, you need to find those people. Like how amazing, like if he wasn't there during that gap and it was oh. all about timing as well. Cause you were sober, you had gone through mm -hmm. that process. And I just love how there's those huge defining moments in life. And I can assume that that was huge for you. Huge. I mean, that completely changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, that whole year was like a pretty magical year from when I came home to when, um, you know, I got my license and I just became hungry for success. So I think you were always hungry for success. Totally. I mean, I was always, I always wanted to be at yes. the top. I just, and I didn't want to do it. And this is where you and I are very similar. We, there's something great at being at this high powered environment and it changes over time. But like on the chase to that, you look to the next person and you're, it just like builds your character so much. Right. And it's like, when you see, I was never interested in like taking the slow route or like taking my time or like, you know, it was just like, <laughs> what do I need to do? Who do I need to learn from? What coach do I need to hire? Because success can be addicting. You know, it can feel so good. Right. Um, yeah. So I joined Cobalt Banker and, um, Heather Pappas, she's a real estate agent at Everest at the time. This is also another guy. So, yeah. Heather, um, Heather, <laughs> she worked for a gentleman. Do you know who Ken Tramp is? The name's familiar. I don't think I ever met him. Okay. So Ken is a very similar to George, but just a, a generation before. Okay. So Ken Tramp. Well, maybe did he, did he coach him? Like Maybe that's no, they never happened. coached together. Oh, okay. No, but if anyone's been in real estate, like you know, knows the name long time, they know who Kim Champ is. And so Ken's daughter is my best friend Sarah. So when I come home, I'm doing all these things. Sarah and I are hanging out a lot. And um they connect some dots for me. And Ken's like, go work under Heather. So I worked under Heather. She put me on to Mike Ferry. And so for anyone in real estate, um, I got a role play partner. I role played five, five to six days a week, every day for well over five years. That's so awesome. Just like dedicated to your craft girl. So then I, Heather was like, I'm not going to give you any leads, but I will teach you how to go and, and you need to prospect. I think the first year in business, I cried every day <laughs> like, just because I wanted it so bad. You know, like you see people that have been doing it for so long and they're just, 
And like, I, I'm going on these shitty appointments and, you know, (laughs) people aren't answering. Not easy people. Everyone thinks it's so easy. This like glamorous thing. And that's why I, you know, I coach business owners and salespeople today. Cause it's like, we have to debunk the like sexy part of some of this stuff, but I stayed with it. Um, so I prospected every day. I was in a, their front office in a conference room every morning making calls and serving tables at night. My boyfriend lived in Park City. I mean, I was working insane, not sleeping that much, getting up, being super dedicated, you know, getting up at five, listening to, you know, either scripts or personal development. Um, and then I went over to Everest met mm-hmm. George. We met at a Mike Ferry event and, you know, George is a very charismatic person for anyone, you know, George, he's a great leader, super charismatic. Um, they were not century 21 yet. It was a small group and it was just what I needed. My dad was always like, you would have done really well in the military. Cause like I do well with structure and like that office, it was like, you were there at seven or seven 30, you were doing scripts and role play. You were writing out your goals mm-hmm. and applications, the whole thing. And, um, yeah, that's where I met. It was a great group too. It was a great group. It really was like, um, I still always look back, look back to those days and I'm like, that was a good crew. I mean, everybody was like rowing in the same direction. It was like, we're head, you know, or as you'd hear, we're climbing the mountain and it would be like, you'd look to left or right and you'd see your like comrades, like making the climb. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Real estate was amazing. My career's going super well. I go to Thailand and I meet my ex-husband. <laughs> oh, it was there. Yeah. Yeah. So I went with Sarah to Thailand and, um, you know, I still have that adventure spirit. He was in the military. He was a Marine and I, we met there. We were pen pals. I went to see him maybe like a, 10 or 11 months later and then I went back out there like two weeks later and we got engaged so wow <laughs> again but this would be a real true test I see people in real estate I for people that don't know I've started my career over four times and so I went to North Carolina not going to spend a ton of time there but I got married and started my business over again because I had that skill set that I, when you get out of a bubble that basically preaches that, I was the anomaly at every other company I'd been at. So it's like, so I picked up the phone, started making money, started, you, you know. You knew how to do this and no one was going to take that away from me. You already had it done it once, so you could do it again. Yeah. And you know, I just, again, super hungry for success. Like mm-hmm. personal development, coaching. I've always had coaches. I mean, from the first year in business, I had a coach. And so grew there. He got out of the military. Um, that again, I raised his daughter. Um, that would be another pivotal moment. Um, we had full-time custody of her. My ex-husband's name is Robert. He hurt his back in the military and became dependent upon prescription drugs. Um, he, he too was definitely super verbally abusive and even physically abusive at times. We moved to rural Texas started my career over again. This would be number three. I've always been in the top 10 to 5% of each company I've been at. Um, I think I, well, I won't go there yet. Um, 
and my drinking really took off with him. You know, we were the party house in North Carolina. We were the party house. We lived on an island. Um, and I think a lot of immaturity, like a lot of adolescence was just living through that, but I had my success and that's been my best. My career has been my best relationship in a lot of ways. The best thing that's happened to me in a lot of ways. We moved to Texas and things were just scary. I did with things were unpredictable. Again, my best friend, Sarah flew down and um, I left with a note. I didn't say goodbye to Savannah. That's the little girl that I had raised for five years. That will probably be the regret that I have the rest of my life. You know, that wasn't, I didn't do that well. And um, yeah, so I moved to the city and I start my career for a fourth time. And um, that was by far the hardest. <laughs> It was, I mean, real estate in Houston, if anyone, you you have an office in California, real estate in a big city where there's a lot of luxury, it's a different beast. Um, and I had coaching there and um, had a lot of really great accomplishments, but my drinking was out of control, like out of, like out of hand. Um, and, and it's very normal in that big city to be bad and bougie. I mean, just because you think you're classy because you're at a nice establishment, like blacking out, you, like doesn't make it any better than being under a bridge. Um, <laughs> really. And um, I'm dating some people that are probably not great. Some like I've dated this cartel guy and owned a real estate company. And um, and this is like where I'd say an area where you and I would start talking somewhere around there. Because mm -hmm. um, we were with him and he was Mexican, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have like big, huge parties with mariachi bands. It was like very, um, but I was doing a lot of cocaine. At this time, my mom had moved in with me. Um, and then I moved into this house. And I think for anyone that's um, struggled with addiction, like you realize, like, I don't know you start to like, you just can't trust your thoughts. So I broke up with this guy. Um, it was very scary. The people that were around us ended up getting murdered like three weeks later. Um, yeah. So like, and, and this is again, like if anyone were to scroll through my social media, you would just see a girl being like success, real estate, you know, like I didn't know how to share. And um, I was trying to get sober because I was like kind of psychotic. Like I couldn't trust my own mind and I had a gun at my house for protection. And so when I would, at the end of days of my drinking, when I would get drunk, the gun would basically talk to me like in my own mind and be like, you know, just essentially telling me to kill myself, which is so crazy because when I hear people that are like there's a voice telling me to kill myself like you'd be like you're insane but I was so like what I finally realized was like my addiction my alcoholism had beat me like it was it had I could maybe date another guy I could maybe sell another house but I certainly couldn't drink any more alcohol wow at all so that's sober. 
and um, and that was in October of 2018. And I decided I didn't want to do real estate anymore. You know, it real estate had been amazing, but you have to be hungry if you want to be really successful in real estate. I mean, and I coach business owners today that have that same hunger and drive. And you see this all the time is it's like, there's no judgment against whatever level of success you want to have. But if you want to do it at a high level, you better still enjoy what you're doing because, you know, like sustainable if you don't No. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I decided I was going to look at other options. I met a wonderful guy named Warren, um, who is in oil and gas. He, well, he was a captain of huge like container ships and worked in the oil industry and super great guy, very handsome, also in recovery. And, um, I started to do some pretty deep healing. And then I found breathwork and, um, breathwork single-handedly, I had been in therapy. I had been with coaches. It was the first time ever when I first did my first session that I felt really safe in my body. Like from a little girl dealing with abuse to a girl chasing success and could never stand still to a girl that liked to party and drink too much. I mean, there were already always programs running. And when I found breath work, I was like fully embodied and like knew I was going to be okay. So it was amazing. Yeah, it was just incredible. And, um, and then I started to look at other options and in terms of career. And um, I ended up during the pandemic, we, I knew I was going to move to Montana this past year. Um, but like COVID hit and Warren was like, come up to Montana. This is where Warren lives. With, uh, he has a son here and I was ready to get out of the city. Like I was already planning on moving out of the city. I was tired of Houston and I'm um, tired of the heat. And um, I ended up coming up in March. And then like a month later, I was like, okay, let's go get my stuff. Like I don't need to pay for my apartment. <laughs> and, um, and even before that, I was like, okay, I'm going to coach business owners. I'm going to do coaching very different or people in success or in sales. Um, because I, I wanted to ask you, I, I know you wanted me to share my story, but I think a lot of coaching that I had early on was super masculine. It was just like, what are your numbers? What are your goals? Where are you at? Which is really important. Would you say that that's what your experience was early on with coaching? Yeah. My first few coaching sessions and coaches were definitely that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then I moved into like life, spirituality, yeah. and like consciousness and just way more on the other end. And it's so cool to have both, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm making like, I'm making my own unique thing, but um, like, I'm grateful for all the cells and skills and accountability and, and some of those things definitely have like its place for sure in, in business, of course. But um, I feel like I've definitely uh, shifted way more into um, like intuition and really listening to my higher self and making decisions. And, you know, so I'm, I'm more connected to, I would say more of that spirituality, um, mm -hmm. even through business. Um, 
Yeah. Are you, where, where are you, like, what is your platform? Is it that? So I looked at, I mean, definitely there's just some fundamentals to be successful, especially in the beginning. Like it just is what it is, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but, um, and as I've worked with more established business owners, it's like having this fulfillment, you know, it's like writing. I have a lot, well, not a lot, but at least two of my clients, they have to write their highest self journal to me every morning. It can be small, but it's like, who not like, okay, I'm going to make a million dollars this year, $2 million this year. It's like, no, who is that person? What do they feel like? How do they interact? How are you showing up in relationship? How are you trusting your intuition? What are you manifesting? What doesn't feel good? What are you keeping secret? Like really this whole container. And I think too, because I've been through so much that the people, so I started this in June, the people that just came to me, they were like, Hey, because I started sharing my journey about two years ago. Um, and I've been loving that. So the business coaching is amazing and it's fun to show people business can be totally intuitive along with um, some masculine and feminine, but it can be authentic. Like your business can be authentic to you and you don't have to be in this fearful place. It's like, you've got to own who you are. That's why, you know, you were put here and then we can build whatever we need to around. So that's what I do with that. And then the breath work is also something I do. It's, um, that's been a little bit more intuitive. So I, I've, and that's been hard, you know, it's like I, business coaching is something that I can like put tangible things around in some ways, you know, I can work process with people. Whereas when you're working with energy, when you're working with trauma, when you're working with somatic therapy type vibe, it's like, literally it feels kind of esoteric at times, but, um, to explain the process, cause people I'm now realizing when people are breath works, a very trendy thing going on right now, there's different types of breath. So my teacher's name is David Elliott. And then another teacher of mine who studies underneath him, her name is Erin Telford. It's a two-part breath through our belly, up through our chest, out through our mouth. It's very active um, to turn our mind off. We flood the body with oxygen. And um, oh, amazing. Like I've done breath work. Yeah. Maybe three times. And um, it's like, it's unbelievable. Like the experience of it, I'm blown away by yeah. it definitely a very like how you said intuitive like you like connection to your like core of your higher self it's like you're it is extremely healing yeah so I call that your home frequency so mm -hmm. it's like your and I heard that from another teacher but it's like we don't know who we are like if you if we went and pulled 80 people, you know, and said, tell me what you're feeling right now. I'd say 70% would say anxious. Like, <laughs> yes. And in fact, like that's, what's going on on the internet right now. Like, but not even, like we want to know who won, you know, it's like, that. let's say like past that or even before that. Right. Is it's like, we're, and we're in this time with COVID where it's like, I think the universe or life is asking people to get more clear about who they are, where they stand, what matters to them. And so things are coming up. And so like when we're anxious or when we're judging or when we're jealous or when we're depressed, these are all just byproducts of things that we have literally stuffed down in our body. 
Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's where it's, it has to come up somewhere. And so when you do breath work, we move all that energy, we process that. And um, I do private sessions and then I do a small group and that's where I'm at. So that's the like, that's the ins, ins and outs. And I'm not making, let's say the money that I was before, that's also been something where it's like, oh, I'll grow to that again. But I'm like living embodiment of like, I will not have anything that does not feel good to me. That doesn't mean I don't work hard, but like, if it goes against where I'm at and who I, who I am, then I won't be able to show up and be in high exchange with the universe, with others, with myself. So, you know, I'm growing and scaling in a way that feels authentic to me. And, uh, and money is just one form of energy, right? Like it's just a, an exchange for your value in the marketplace. But I always tell my team this, there's so many other ways to grow. Oh, yeah. um, and that's an, that's a byproduct of what you're creating anyway. So right now, just, you're just in the process of it, but I love that, you know, like this is so relatable to the podcast because it's all created around finding success and fulfillment, because if you just have success, if you just have the money, like that's so, that's such an empty path. That's such an empty life. And, well, and that's where you go and find things that go even farther against who you are, right? Like yeah. I'm very high. Like, yeah, it's a form of avoidance as well. I found myself when I was really in the grind and like, I'm still, I still work hard all the time. Like I'm working on my business probably all day and even in the middle of the night, you know, but it's, yeah. it's a different form of creation and work and it's exciting. But when I've been in my moments in life where I've been like in the grind and just work, 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 uh, you know, create goals, high goals, achieve, create goals, achieve, create goals, achieve. It's um, so empty is so meaningless. So um, I think that we need to shift the focus of how, how am I really fulfilled? How am I really enjoying this ride? How am I happy? Like exactly what you've done and what you're doing in this process. And then, okay, awesome. Then how, how do I monetize this? You know, and, and so I feel like if our society would shift happiness firsthand most important thing and if we can teach the next generation that like that is everything so um your story is and I didn't know a lot of these things that you shared with us today and I'm super grateful and I honor you we just need to just hug and just I know sometimes in it I was like you know, yeah, no, I'm flattered to even be on here and just show people. I think more than anything, when I share my story, it's just like, I don't buy into any part of my story. It just is what it was. You know, I use it where I need to. I, it shows me my strength. It can show me my weakness. But today, like I show up with Sophie and like, that's the biggest deal. Like I don't wear a mask, so I try not to. And I show others like, Hey, you can be totally you and go kill it. Like it, it can be money. It can be, and if I wanted to scale my business area to where I was, you know, a few years ago, it would be no problem, but it's like, I'm not doing like you're saying. And so I just think if anything, and you do this too, is it's just like embodying who you are and then being like, what are we going to take from that and go out and have courage to like own where you're at, you know? I love it. And courage to live the life you really want to totally and so 
man, you, you have like, <laughs> this is, talk about deep conversations. This yeah. is my deepest, you know, episode ever. And I, yeah, just really, really honoring your, your authenticness, your truth. And yeah. I know that, you know, you, you've worked, done a lot of work to be able to heal a lot of those deep wounds for you to be able to even have these conversations, which is so yeah, incredible. And like some of the things you went through are just unbelievable. And, um, I just highly respect how you made the decision and the choice to take that drive you had and turn it into something so positive. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And going from like the lowest of the lows to feeling the highest of the highs and with the work you're currently doing to help others rise into that is like phenomenal. Thanks, Bill. I so honor you, sis. <laughs> um, Sophie, how, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested? Yeah, in so story, your coaching, your breath work, like what is how all they things. Yep. So go find me on Instagram, Sophie Jones underscore sacred coach. So you can book it. You can book a discovery call for business there. You can book one-on-one breath work with breath work with me there. Um, I also do my group event there, or you can see the registration there. And then sophiejonesacredcoaching.com. So it's a little long, but it's just Sophie Jones Sacred Coaching. You can find me there and again, do all the things we just talked about. And then obviously I'm on Facebook, Sophie Jones, I'm friends with Nuria. So you can find me under her friends. Woo! And um, just, I honor you too. It's been fun to watch your journey. It's been fun to see you be a light for other women and to watch you soften. You know, it's like, <laughs> Thank it's you. been beautiful. Yeah, I've been a part of your mastermind and I see a lot of women look up to you and I see a lot of women like really trust you because you come from integrity. And we need that. We need leaders like you. So I love you and thank you for Girl, having me. I love you too. This was a, a wonderful time. And seriously, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure that a lot of listeners will be completely blown away in a good way and um, inspiring people to, to really know that something that happened in your life does not have to define you. And I think you're the perfect example of that. Thanks, so. Hey. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. A great podcast, great episode. Have an amazing day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nudia's Mastermind. It's an absolute pleasure of mine to be able to share the space with you. There is something so powerful about brilliant minds coming together to help other people grow and to inspire them to enjoy the zest for life. Please subscribe and also follow me on YouTube and on Instagram. My handle is nuria.p.rivera. Now go and create an amazing life.